Well, thank you, Paul. And uh, we actually, our 18th is on the way, a grandchild, and so we're praying for that. And, and uh, Ian and Amy joined us two years ago, I think it was, and a huge blessing to our team and our church. And we're so thankful for him and for them as well. As Paul said, Dwayne has been a friend for a number of years, although I, I confess that any time I'm around him, I would come to Hamilton at times have lunch, I go home exhausted just being around his energy level. And he's an extreme extrovert. I'm an introvert. And uh, we'd see him on vacation at times at Fair Havens. He spoke there many times when we've been there. Love him dearly. Respect him immensely. Love seeing how God uses him uh, way beyond Hamilton and has in my life as well. And so we're very thankful. Praying for you all in the change and the transition uh, from someone like Dwayne. And uh, I sort of pity the person who follows him. <laughs> I'm joking, but uh, that, he's just such a uniquely gifted man. And so we have been praying for you, and we'll continue uh, to pray for you as well. You can open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Just to set up our time in that passage, just my introduction. March 18th, 1990, it's 1.24 a.m. when two men dressed as police officers tricked two young and inexperienced security guards into letting them into the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston. They proceeded to overpower the security guards, tied them up, covered their eyes, and in the next 81 minutes, they removed 13 pieces of artwork. The value of those 13 pieces of art was $500 million. And the Netflix has actually done a mini-series on this. They call it, This is a Robbery the world's biggest art heist. It has never been solved. There's a $10 million award reward for anyone who would help them solve it. They, they actually named the two men. They think they did it. They thought they worked for a mobster, but they could never prove anything, and so it goes unsolved. And one expert on this has said the thieves likely succeeded due to canny planning, luck, and lax security. Now, that is shocking. They didn't take everything that was in there, but if they just took $500 million worth, and you think about it, that they had lax security on a building like that with those kinds of valuables inside. You see, there's a need to properly guard that which is valuable. And that's what our passage is on today. I've entitled my sermon, The Call to Guard the Good Deposit. And here we see a call from Paul to Timothy. Second Timothy is the last thing that, that we have. It's, it's his uh, final letter. He's in prison in Rome. He's facing death. He knows he's going to die under Nero. And it's his final letter to Timothy, who has been sent to the city of Ephesus to help plan and help church, that church in Ephesus. Is that cutting out? Is that on my side or is that? Okay. I didn't know if I did something wrong here. And so here in our passage, and I want to read verses 8 to 14 and unpack these together with us of 2 Timothy chapter 1. We have three commands from Paul to Timothy. So look in your Bibles, Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8. Paul writes, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I, Paul, appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, 
which is why I suffer as I do. But Paul says, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words, Timothy, that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves before you now. We thank you for this time in worship. I thank you for this church, this congregation, these people. We thank you for the family of God and the privilege we have to be brothers and sisters together, for the great hope we have. But Father, we also see in this passage, you have called us to do our part in guarding the good deposit. And as Paul says, you also guard it. And so we look to you, we humble ourselves before you, our hope is on in you, and our eyes are set upon you. And we pray now as we uh, place ourselves under the word of Christ, as we submit ourselves to it, that your spirit would take this living, active word, and you would speak to each of us personally and powerfully. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, this morning I have three points here because there's three imperatives in these verses. And so we're going to have three commands from Paul to Timothy. By application, these are three imperatives or commands to each of us as followers of Christ, as a part of the body of Christ. And if you're a note taker, our first point has five subpoints, And so you can track along with me. So we begin in verses 8 to 12 where we see this imperative to be willing to suffer for the gospel to be willing to suffer for the gospel. Paul begins with the word therefore. So he's tying what is to come with what comes before. Therefore is a linking word. And he's talked about how Timothy was given a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. He's talked about how Timothy has a sincere faith. That word sincere means it's an anti-hypocritical faith. Timothy doesn't have a hypocritical faith, a fake faith, a false faith, but he has a sincere faith, and he has the power of love and of of self-control from God. And so because of that, therefore, because of these realities of what God has already done in the life of Timothy, Paul now calls Timothy to three imperatives here. And he begins here in verse 8, Therefore do not be ashamed. That's an imperative, it's a command. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor me, his prisoner, but, command, share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Do not be ashamed and be willing to suffer. This is what he's instructing Timothy. Now, it's easy for us to be ashamed. Perhaps you have been ashamed at times. A friend or a family member is telling someone up just they just met about Christ or they're praying in a restaurant or a public place and you've perhaps hid your head, ducked your head, you felt some shame. It's in our flesh. It's easy for us to be ashamed. And Paul is encouraging Timothy here not to be ashamed of what? The testimony about our Lord. In other words, don't be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, Timothy. Don't be ashamed of the word of God, Timothy. In a world like we live in, if you're in a classroom, on a campus, in a workplace, an office, a factory, and you bring up the Bible, people will often mock you. And it's easy for us to cower and pull back because we're ashamed of the testimony. We don't want to be, but in our flesh, in our fear of man, this happens. Now, the grammar that Paul uses here doesn't mean it's a correction of Timothy, that he is ashamed. It's a warning for Timothy, don't become ashamed and also be willing to suffer. 
And perhaps because Paul understood, if you read 1 Timothy, the false teachers are in the church in Ephesus. And they're attacking Paul, and they're going to attack Timothy, and they're really doing the work of Satan in the church. And so Paul perhaps understands that Timothy may have some of them come up to him and say, Timothy, your spiritual father, Paul, where is he? Oh, yeah, he's in prison in Rome. Look at Timothy. We're here. You should be following us. You should be believing what we say. Why would you believe that man? Obviously, God's not blessing him. Obviously, God's not look, uh, with him. Look at where he is. And Timothy may be ashamed of Paul and may become ashamed of the gospel. And so he's, he's facing these oppositions, and Paul's encouraging him, as Paul would encourage you today and me today. Paul reminds Timothy, I love his wording, Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Now, Paul was a prisoner of Rome. Paul was under Nero, but Paul identifies himself not as a prisoner of Rome. Isn't this wonderful? But a prisoner of the Lord. He understands the sovereignty of God. Rome is nothing, even though they were the world power at that time. God in his power could release Paul if he wanted, but Paul understands it's God's will. Listen, it's God's will that I am in prison and I'm about to die. I'm a prisoner of the Lord, not of Rome. So don't be ashamed of me and don't be ashamed of the message I preach and don't be ashamed of the message of Scripture, the message of Christ. And then he adds, take your share of suffering. Be willing to suffer, but share in suffering. I wonder today, are you willing to take your share of suffering? Jesus said they hated me. Why do you think they won't hate you? Why do we think we should live in this life problem-free, persecution-free? We're trying to prepare our church because we believe persecution is coming. I'm old, I know that. But some of you younger ones, for sure, I think it'll come in my lifetime still, but I think for sure it'll come in your lifetime. Are you willing, have you counted the cost, are you willing to take on your portion of Christ's suffering? Paul says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord and be willing to take your portion of the suffering. This is crucial. This is a gospel message. And he adds here, and again, it's an important clarification. He says, but share in suffering what? For the gospel. Now, this is important to understand. If you understand biblical counseling, there's four sources of suffering. One of the sources is persecution. And when we're suffering under persecution for the gospel, what are we called to do? To stand up under it, to persevere. Not to return, if they strike your cheek, you turn the other cheek. If they take your possessions, you pray for them. Uh, Jesus taught in Luke that you do good to those who hate you. And so if you're suffering for the gospel, then you stand up under it and you persevere. You continue to proclaim the gospel. If they come here in Ontario and put us in jail because of our belief and pro proclamation of the word of God on issues of sexuality and other issues, then we must continue to love those who persecute us, pray for them, and continue to persevere in the truth. But if you are suffering, and we see this so often, because of your own sin, and often people are suffering, not persecution, but because of their own sin. The Bible doesn't say to persevere in that, obviously. The Bible says to repent. But if you don't see the source of your suffering accurately, I know many people who are thinking they're persevering under some sort of opposition or persecution, but they're actually suffering because of their own sin. But they don't understand that, so they don't own their sin and repent of it. 
And so it's important to understand the source. And here he says, Paul is encouraging Timothy, who is suffering, is going to suffer for the gospel, because of the gospel, because he proclaims the gospel, believes the gospel, stands for the gospel. So in the classrooms where you are, in the school and workplaces, if you're proclaiming Christ, now if you're suffering because you're offensive, you're just an obnoxious person, if you just want to argue with everybody and prove you're right and they're wrong, well then maybe the suffering will help bring you to a place of repentance. But if you're suffering because you proclaim Jesus Christ, and that's a message that's offensive, then be willing to stand under it. You say, well, I don't know if I can do that. And Timothy was often, we know from Scripture, he was timid. He was struggling against the opposition. His mentor is about to be put to death. He's probably feeling very alone. The opposition is against him. And how does he stand against that? Well, Paul tells us here, share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. That's the good news. By the power of God. Wherever you are and whatever's coming against you, I don't know that. Your leadership in the church may not know that, but God knows that. And so we're able to persevere under whatever will come in the months and years ahead by the power of God. Peter encouraged this as well as the idea of suffering. Peter writes in 1 Peter 4, 12 to 13, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. Listen, folks, do not be surprised when persecution and suffering comes. We shouldn't be surprised by it. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon because it's coming to test you. James talks about that. That when you're in a multicolored sort of trial, rejoice and give thanks because it's testing and growing your faith. And so Peter says, don't be surprised when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. We haven't had persecution and suffering here, so when it comes, we're surprised and we think we've done something wrong. No, we're being faithful and we need to stand under it. And he says this, it rejoice insofar, listen here, it is as you share in Christ's suffering. Rejoice as you take your part of Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. We want to, re we want to be part of the glory of Christ when he comes back and to enjoy all of that. That involves in this world being willing to take your portion, your part in suffering for Christ. And so Paul here is encouraging Timothy. He knows he's going to need this help to not be ashamed and to be willing to suffer. Now, Paul understands, as I said, this is difficult for Timothy. I think Paul, by the Holy Spirit, has some sense on what's going to come upon Timothy. We know from the letter of Revelation, when Jesus writes to the church in Ephesus, they were losing their first love. And Paul sent Timothy to help the church. And so Paul's going to give Timothy some more help in our passage here. He's going to give him five reasons. Five reasons why he should not be ashamed of the gospel, the testimony of our Lord. Five reasons why he should be willing to suffer. And so I want to walk you through these. I hope these will be encouraging and strengthening to you as they are to me. Five reasons why we should be willing to suffer and we should not be ashamed of the gospel. First reason is because through it, through the gospel, you receive salvation. Through the gospel, you receive salvation. Look what he says in verse 9. Who saved us. Remember, backing up, backing up. Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us. Who saved us? God saved us. Christ, the, the gospel of Christ, the good news saved us and called us for a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. 
So we shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel and we should be willing to suffer for the gospel because it's through the gospel we've come to salvation. We've come to a forgiveness of sins. We've come to a, be reconciled to our heavenly father. So we should be willing to share in it and we shouldn't be ashamed of it because the gospel saved. Now I know Christ saved us, but you wouldn't be saved if you didn't hear the gospel through the word of Christ. And some of you could give testimony right now. I remember when I heard that message, my eyes were opened. Uh, what I had mocked before, now I placed all my faith and trust in. And so he's speaking here of salvation, being brought from death unto life, being transferred from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God, a sinner being made a saint, the lost being found, an enemy being reconciled, those stained by sin being cleansed and washed and holy, an orphan being adopted, the guilty being forgiven, the hopeless having an eternal hope. If you've experienced that, why would you be ashamed of that message that brought that glorious salvation into your life? If you've been experienced that, why would you not be willing to, be, to suffer to proclaim and stand for that message. You see, this word of God, the book, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the way of salvation. That's why Peter taught in Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, you must be saved. Because if you die in your sins, you're, you're forever damned in hell. You must be saved. And there's only one name. There's only one truth that can save you. The reality is every other religion. Now, I know this isn't popular. This isn't acceptable in our world. But every other religion is untrue and a lie. There's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so why would we be ashamed of that message? Why would we not be willing to suffer to proclaim that message? He saves us and he washes us. He transforms us into the image and likeness of himself. He calls us to holiness. And Paul reminds us here, it's not because of our works is not because of, do you understand? You added nothing to your salvation. The only thing you brought to your salvation was your sin. He did it all. It's an entirely a work of God through Christ Jesus. It's not because of our works, but it's because of his, Paul says it, his own purpose and grace. Your salvation is a result of God's purpose. You know what that means? Your salvation is because God willed it. The Bible says he chose you before the foundation of the world. Now, I don't know how all that fits with the fact that one day we heard the gospel and we repented and believed, but the Bible says both are true. You're here because if you're a Christian, you're saved and you have eternity with him. You have forgiveness of sins. All of them have been washed and cleansed because of his purpose and his grace. That's why we love to sing amazing grace. Amazing grace. He willed it. He saved us. He made it happen through Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. So why would we be ashamed of that message? And why would we be unwilling to suffer for that message? The second reason why we need to not be ashamed and be willing to suffer is not just because it brought our salvation, but more specifically, through it, we receive Jesus himself. 
We receive Jesus himself. You see, heaven's going to be wonderful for a lot of reasons. And it's not harps and clouds and all of that stuff, cherubs and everything. All right? It's, it's with God, but it's a new heaven and new earth that's coming. So it's all of this earth without the curse of sin when he remakes it all. But heaven is wonderful, not because of all the blessings, but there are blessings upon blessings upon blessings. We'll never be, lose our awe of that for all eternity. But heaven is special because Jesus is there and we'll be with him. And so salvation is wonderful for all the, I've, my own count, there's over 30 things that happen for and to us at salvation. They're all amazing, like reconciled and forgiven and washed and, and adopted, etc. But the most fascinating and most important thing of salvation is we are now in Jesus Christ. He is ours and we are his. So why would we be ashamed? And why would we not be willing to suffer? We have life and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And Paul gives, again, some theology here. He says, which he gave us in Christ Jesus, listen, before the ages began. Now, I mentioned you were chosen before the foundation of the world. Paul says it here, and he writes about it, Ephesians 1 and other places. Peter writes about it in his epistle. It's just the truth of the gospel. And because we can't get our heads around it all, it doesn't make, us not tr make it not true. Before the ages began, before time and space began, before Genesis 1, God loved you, knew you would be here, named everything about you, and chose you. The Bible just teaches that. We can't understand it all, but the Bible teaches that. Before the ages began. It's wonderful. But then look at what he adds next to it. Of having Jesus and, and all of this that comes with Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. You see, so before creation, he chose you and placed his love upon you. And Paul says, now in time and space, and Paul now was his day, wasn't it? He, he would have seen Jesus before Paul was a Christian, when he was Saul, when he was persecuting Jesus, he saw him, probably heard his teaching many times. And then when Jesus died and supposedly raised from the dead, Saul was going about trying to wipe out the name of Jesus, arrest and kill every follower of Jesus. But he met the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus. He got gloriously saved. And he's now Paul preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, before the ages began... He, he had your name, and now in time and space, he called you to himself. It's a glorious message of the gospel. We don't understand it all. It's too much for us, but it's just wonderful. You see, God sits outside of time and space. We're limited. We literally don't know what will happen in the next five minutes. Not one of us has a clue because we're limited by time and space, but he isn't. One illustration I've heard of this, and it's not complete illustration, but it helps me. And we used to live in Los Angeles, California. We spent four years there when I was going to seminary, and we'd go to the Rose Bowl Parade. Some of you have seen it. It's not as popular perhaps now, but massive parade, and it goes all through Pasadena. And you would buy tickets and sit in a bleacher seat, and then you would see the parade coming. And, you know, floats and horses and bands, and they would go by. And you can see a little bit what's coming, but you don't know what's around the corner. And you see them go by. It's linear. Everything goes by, and we experience it one thing at a time. But if you were in the Goodyear blimp, which you see on TV, they can see the entire parade beginning to end all at once. They understand it's linear, but they can see the whole thing. But we can only see the next thing that's coming. 
That's kind of our perspective is like in life is sitting on the bleed. We can't see around the corner. We have no idea what the next five minutes will bring. But God sits outside of time and space. This is why our hope is secure. He's not wondering what's going to happen next. And so here he says, before time began, and now as Jesus has appeared, which is now manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So why would we be ashamed? Why would we not be willing to suffer when we have received salvation through this message, through the gospel, through Christ, and we have received Christ himself? He's ours. It's been manifested now. Paul writes to Titus about this. If you just flip over a couple pages in your Bible, Titus chapter 2, in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 Paul reiterates this to Titus because Titus was doing something similar to what Timothy was. And so Titus chapter 2, verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared. How did the grace of God appear? In the person of Jesus Christ. So when Paul says the grace of God has appeared, he's saying Jesus appeared. God came in the flesh. When the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now we know that all is qualified to those who would repent and believe training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. That's the sanctification that follows salvation, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, the second coming, who gave himself, listen, Jesus, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And so it's the same thing Paul's saying to Timothy here. Don't be ashamed, Timothy. Be willing to suffer to proclaim this message because through it you've received salvation and actually through it you've actually received the living Lord Jesus Christ. The third reason is at the end of verse 10. It's not, the gospel has not only brought salvation and Christ himself, but through it you received life. You receive life. He talks about which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He's conquered death. I hope you're thankful for that right now. I just this past Tuesday, we had a funeral in our church for an 18-year-old who the week before an accident in a grain um, silo and died. His parents were in Hawaii got the call. It was heartbreaking. The church was packed out. There's no answer for why that happens. Thankfully, listen, thankfully at 18, he was a believer in Jesus Christ. And thankfully, his parents loved the Lord Jesus. Their one request was that they, at the funeral, the gospel would be proclaimed because their hope is in Christ. Aren't you thankful that that last enemy has been defeated? Death is defeated. I know we live like we'll never die, especially you younger ones. But we don't know what the next five minutes will bring. But we need not fear of the ultimate enemy. Because by his death and resurrection, he has defeated and conquered and dealt with sin. So there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he's defeated death, the result of sin. Here Paul says he's granted to us, he's, he's conquered life. He's conquered it. 
Now, listen, you can try and conquer death. Go ahead. God bless you. All the anti-aging cream you want, all the exercise, do whatever. It's good stuff. Nothing wrong with that. But I'm telling you, every time you look in the mirror, you know you're losing the battle. It's especially as you get older. It's just happening. Paul says the outer man is decaying. The inner man, hopefully, is being renewed day by day by the work of Jesus Christ. But, but try as we might, and our world devotes billions to try to fight off what is inevitable. We, we have no say in it. You can't stop it, despite what they will, will put forth on, on commercials and things. But we need not fear it, because we have eternal life. We have eternal life. Why? Because Jesus is our substitute, has paid for our sins. He's made a way. We have salvation. We have Jesus Christ. And now we need not fear. That's why Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation to all who believes. Why would you be ashamed of the only message this world knows that brings eternal life? The only message that conquers the enemy of death. Why would you not... Be willing to suffer to tell others about that message. It's so important. I love how he says it's abolished, it's conquered, it's defeated death. The idea there is it's made death ineffective or powerless. Ryan died a week ago Wednesday. But listen, he is not dead. To be absent from the body, tell me, what is it? To be present with the Lord. The moment you leave this world, you're present with the Lord. Why, why, why would we be ashamed of that message? It brought life and immortality to light, Paul says. We were once dead in our trespasses and sin, and we are hopeless and helpless. But in the message of the Word of God, we have found life and immortality. It is the light has shined in the darkness in our hearts. Why would we be ashamed of that? and not willing to suffer for it? Why would we not be willing to proclaim that gospel? The fourth reason Paul gives here, not just because through it you have received salvation, you received Jesus, you received a life abundant and eternal life, but the fourth reason in verse 11, through it you've received a purpose. Paul's talking about his purpose here in verse 11. For which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. It's given not just Paul, not just the clergy. That clergy lady thing is not, you don't see in the Bible. It's Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4. Every single Christ follower has been given spiritual gifts and called by God for a purpose. Your purpose may be on the job site, on, in the factory, in the home, in the community, in the classroom. But God has given every one of us a purpose. Paul just shares his with Timothy here. Paul says that he's called me, and he says this at the beginning of each of his letters. But by, by the will of the Father and the Son, he said, I've been called to this. First, a preacher, a herald of the good news of Jesus Christ. Second, an apostle. That's one called in their day to plant. Paul was called by Jesus to plant churches. He wrote a third of the New Testament. He was about the kingdom work of the Jesus Christ, and he's been called as a teacher to systematically explain. The preacher pro pronounces and proclaims, the teacher systematically explains the word of God. And Paul says, that's my mission given to me. Actually, when Paul was just saved, remember he was blind and he was, went to a house and God sends a messenger to him and he said, go tell Paul that he's a chosen instrument of mine. 
to take the gospel to many, also to suffer. And I just want to encourage you, this is Paul's testimony here. This is his purpose. But every single Christian in this room, you have a purpose from God for your life. He's given you spiritual gifts so that you can fulfill that purpose. Are you living on purpose? Are you fulfilling his calling? You need to love the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of God, because through it you will come to understand why you're here. To have a, a living relationship with Christ, but more than that, to grow in sanctification, but more than that, to serve him however he has gifted and called you. The fifth reason we have here that Paul gives Timothy in this uh, encouragement in the gospel is because through it, through the gospel, he says to Timothy, you have received hope. You have received hope. Timothy, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord and be willing to suffer for it because through it you've received salvation, you've received Jesus himself, you've been granted eternal life, you have a purpose and a plan for your life, and finally you have a hope. You have a wonderful hope. Verse 11, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. And then verse 12, which is why I suffer as I do. Now listen, these wonderful words, some of you know these. For I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he's able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. These are wonderful words in verse 12. Paul says, that's why I'm willing to take my part in suffering. Paul was sitting when he wrote this, in a stinking, rotten Roman prison. I was part of a prison ministry in Los Angeles for three years, a maximum security prison. It was tough to go in there every week and teach a Bible study. It was not a place I really wanted to be. But listen, the Roman prisons were nothing like ours today. Often you didn't even survive if a family member wouldn't bring you food. And Paul says he was chained to a Roman soldier. Do you think that Roman soldier wanted to spend his shift sitting in a stinking, rotten prison, chained to a criminal? He probably mistreated Paul terribly, and it was an awful situation. And what does Paul say in that situation? Paul says, listen, I, I am willing to do this. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our word. And Paul said, I'm sitting in this jail. I'm, I know death is coming, but I want to tell you, Timothy, I'm not ashamed. So don't be ashamed of me and don't be ashamed of Jesus Christ. It's a powerful statement. I'm not ashamed. Do you know why he's not ashamed? Paul tells us why he's not ashamed. In the worst of circumstances, in the worst of circumstances, why is Paul not ashamed? He tells us, for I know. For I know, that word know means I have an intimate knowledge of. Paul had got to the place in his life where he had been grown by the Holy Spirit, by trials and by suffering, that he is in the place, even though he's facing imminent death and in an awful, awful place, that he has a hope that cannot be tarnished by all of that. He says, I know, I know, I know what? Whom I have believed. I wonder, do you know whom you've believed? This is why it's important we abide with Christ, that we would grow in our affection and love for Christ, that with each day that passes, we could say more and more, I know, I know Jesus in ways I didn't know him a month ago. I know him, I know him. And whatever comes into my life, you lose your 18-year-old son. You lose a spouse. The doctor calls with cancer, a diagnosis. You lose your job. Whatever comes, you're persecuted, you're fired, 
whatever comes, if you know Jesus, I don't mean just know him here. I mean you know him personally, relationally. Paul says, I know whom I have believed. And he says, I am convinced, I am convinced, despite all the circumstances, I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day. Until what day? Until the day of judgment. So many people fear death, and people should, if you're not in Christ Jesus, you should fear death, because there's no second chance. There's no purgatory. There's nobody going to be able to pray you out of hell. If you die in your sins, the end is there. But if you're a believer, you need not fear death, nor do you need to believe that day, because on that day, your sins will not be brought against you. Because all your sins, past, present, and future, have been forgiven in Jesus Christ. When he said on the cross, it is finished, he meant payment for our sins is complete. And so Paul says, I'm convinced because I know Jesus, because I'm his and he's mine. When that day comes, I have no fear. I know. I'm convinced. Why? Because he's able to guard. He's able to guard. You ever get to the place like you, your, your faith is so weak? Maybe it's only me at times. Like I have to kind of look under the carpet. Is my faith under there? I can hardly find it. Sometimes because of our own struggles, we feel so weak. We wonder, how could he really love me? I sinned against again. Listen, listen. Your security in Jesus Christ is not dependent on how strong your faith is nor what you do for him. It's 100% dependent on the object of your faith, on Jesus Christ. And listen, his finished work on the cross, amen? Isn't that encouraging? So Paul, we can say like, Paul, whatever my circumstances are, I'm not ashamed because I know whom I've believed in and I know he's able, he's able to guard until that day. Now, our text in the ESV I'm using says entrusted to me. You probably have a footnote, maybe. It could be translated entrusted to him. The point is still the whole thing. He is able, he is able to guard. Whether he's, he's talking about his own salvation, so he could just be referring to himself, or it could be translated better what has been trusted to him. It doesn't matter. The point is he's trusting God for his salvation. His hope is, can't be tarnished even by facing death. So five reasons why Paul was not ashamed of the testimony of the Lord and why he's willing to suffer. And I hope these would strengthen your willingness to take your part in suffering, whatever would come down the road, and your, would take it, help you get away from that place of being shamed. Now we're going to move on to the second imperative. First imperative we looked at was be willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Second in verse 13, our second imperative now, this is our second main point, is be faithful to the gospel. Verse 13 be faithful to the gospel. He says, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Again, this is an imperative. Follow. Follow is an imperative. It's a command. Follow the pattern. Be faithful to the gospel. The idea of a pattern, if some of you sow that you get a, a template and you lay it out on a cloth and you mark the cloth and you cut and sew according to that. If you're a builder, you get the blueprints. They're the pattern. We understand the pattern. We're following it. We're mimicking it. We're following after. It's a template. It's an example. And Paul says, follow. That means 
follow the pattern of, and what? The sound words. This is the gospel. Paul has heard Timothy teach over and over and over. Paul has Timothy's letters. Those are the sound words. For us now, they're gospel. So for us, by application, and for Timothy, it was the Old Testament and Paul's words as Paul was writing Holy Scripture. Follow, Timothy, the pattern, the example, the teaching of the sound words. That word sound, that's translated sound, means healthy. Sound means healthy. It means true. It means accurate. Sound words, healthy words, life-giving words. This gospel, this book, the Bible, is the only book we have in this entire world that has sound, healthy, life-giving words. No other self-help book has that. No other book by anyone else has that. We're to follow these things that are in Scripture. Paul encourages Timothy, follow the pattern, the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith. Listen, in the faith, we believe by faith. One day our faith will be made sight, won't it? But right now we believe by faith. We believe God's word by faith. Now there's a lot of fact behind it. Like it's, you can't debate the fact that a man named Jesus of Nazareth lived. If you believe anything from antiquity about Homer or anybody else, there's way, way, way more evidence of the New Testament of a man named Jesus lived and he taught what he taught. That's not faith. That's really historical fact. And that he died on the cross is not faith but fact. And that the tomb was empty is not faith but fact. The only question is, who was he? And why did he die? And why was the tomb empty? That's where faith comes in. So we have to understand the difference between faith and fact, historical fact. But by faith, we believe the sound words of Scripture in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. It's not just believing some abstract idea. It's believing in the man of Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. Beloved, be faithful to the gospel. Hold to the truth. False teachers in Timothy's day and in our day are trying to constantly convince you. They were trying to convince the Ephesians of errors and lies, of turning away from Paul's words and Timothy's words and follow their own. And Paul says, follow the pattern you have in me. Follow the words you've heard from me. Follow the teaching of Scripture. Can I encourage you today, if someone is saying or teaching something or calling you to something that does not line up with the Word of God, you must reject them, shut them off, now, this is more important in our day than it was in Timothy's day. Because in our day, because of this crazy thing called the internet, we have countless teachers available to us. And with one or two clicks, now you can find some great preachers, and God bless the internet for that, and the way it's being used. But there are far, far, far more false teachers out there trying to deceive you, and you need to be incredibly discerning today. And test everything according to the word of God. So that we would follow the sound life-giving words and not believe lies that will damn our souls. Be a student of your Bible. Don't live by your feelings or by your own wisdom. Our culture is notorious for telling you what you think, what you feel is truth. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Everything about us, our thinking and our feelings must be submitted to the word of God. We must be willing to suffer for the gospel. We must be faithful to the gospel. Our third command comes in verse 14. We must be protective of the gospel. Be willing to suffer for the gospel. Not be ashamed of it. 
be faithful to the gospel, live according to God's word, abide in God's word, submit yourself to God's word, allow it to adjust and correct and rebuke you, crush you and remake you. But thirdly, in verse 14, be protective of the gospel. Paul says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. In verse 12, we see that Paul was not ashamed because he knows who he's believed in and he's convinced that he is able to guard. In Scripture, it's called, in the grammar sense, it's called the indicative comes before the imperative. Some of you don't like grammar. I got 51 in high school English. I was proud I passed. I used to hate grammar. Now I really appreciate it. still terrible at it. But the indicative is a statement of fact. The imperative is the command we must obey. In Scripture, you always find this. The statement, listen to me, the statement of what God has already done for you. And because of what God has already done for you, that enables you to obey the imperative. We don't obey the imperative by working harder, trying better, I can do it. That's ridiculous. You ever tried to live the Christian life that way? I'm going to be good. I'm going to obey. I'm not going to sin. I'm going to be good. I'm not going to obey. Oh, and that temptation comes. Oh, I sinned. And then you feel terribly guilty. And then you're going to, conviction comes. I'm not going to do it again. I'm not going to do it again. And you just get caught in that cycle. That's because you're trying to obey the imperatives on your own strength. You can't. You will never win. Never, ever. You'll be in a habitual sin. The way you walk in holiness in obedience to God's word is by clinging to what God has already done for you and who he is and who lives in you, submitted to the Holy Spirit, abiding in Christ. That's where your effort goes. Here he says to be protective of the gospel. We have our part to do. It's an imperative. It's a command. But it looks at what he starts with. By the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Before he gets to the imperative, he starts with the indicative. By the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. It's wonderful. This takes us back to John 16 when Jesus was, I just read it this morning in my Bible reading plan, but when Jesus is talking to the disciples, he says in John 16, 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. He's told them three times he's going to go to Jerusalem, be arrested, be crucified, be raised from the dead. They didn't get the raised from the dead. They didn't even really understand the crucifixion that was coming. But here he's telling them in John 16, listen, I'm going away. Now put yourself in the apostles' shoes. Can you imagine what they're doing? I think Peter, always Peter, right? No way, no way. You're not going away. Jesus, Peter said that, right? Like he's, no. And, and Jesus says, to your advantage. Come on, Jesus. We took a poll. All of us believe it's not to our advantage. Now think about it, wouldn't you? If, if Jesus was here, first of all, I'd be down there and he'd be up here, right? But if, who would not want Jesus literally here with us? Can you imagine the Son of God with you? What's better than the Son of God with you? Tell me. The Son of God in you. In you. It's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, capital H, Holy Spirit. But if I go, I will send them to you. You see, by the Holy Spirit. So wherever you're going this week, in whatever place, you may be all alone, but, but you're not. Because in you, is God himself, the helper, the helper. And so here Paul's saying, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, Timothy, I'm going to die. Your spiritual father will no longer be with you, but something far greater, someone far greater is. God's spirit dwells within you. By that, that's the indicative. By that, listen, here's the imperative. Guard the good deposit entrusted 
to you. We receive Jesus Christ and we live in Jesus Christ and he's our hope and he's our strength by the power of God. We have the love of God, he said earlier in the chapter, and we have self-control of God by all of this. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you, I have no idea, nor do you, what you're going to face this week, what surprise, what phone call, perhaps what calamity will hit you. Here's what I know. God will be with you and he will take you through it. By the power of God, he says, guard the good deposit. What's the good deposit? It's the truth of the gospel. It's the words of Christ. It's what we should be willing to suffer for. It's what we should be proclaiming and not ashamed of. Guard the good deposit. We've been entrusted with the gospel. We need to guard it. Listen, those guards in that Boston Museum and the company that was behind it, let's put the blame on them rather than there were two 20-something-year-old guards who probably had not been trained and everything was wrong. How could that company not put proper security in place for something worth over $500 million? But we have been entrusted to something far, far more valuable. So he calls us to guard the good deposit, and we can do that because of Christ in us. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for these words from Paul to Timothy. As Timothy was struggling against opposition, against those who would seek to his demise about perhaps Timothy even had a sense as Paul was going to be put to death that his day was coming. We don't know all that was going around in his heart and mind, but thank you for the words of Paul, his spiritual father, to encourage and strengthen him. Thank you for your Holy Spirit putting these words in Scripture that we could read them this morning, that we could be strengthened. And I pray for each one in this room. Father, whatever we're facing, whatever's going on, whatever happened this past week, whatever's coming next week, whatever's coming this year, we need not fear. For greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We have a hope that can't be tarnished because our hope is set on you. Our eyes are fixed on you. So I pray by your Holy Spirit, through Christ who dwells in us, feeding on the word of God every day, abiding in Christ, you would strengthen us. You would keep us faithful. You would help us to guard what you've called us to guard, and we can because you're already guarding it for us. And we pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.